Alonzo's dining room, uh, somewhere around here, and hello from Christie's dining room. Uh, we are going to talk about Shirley, and since uh, Christie is also kind of a, uh, you know, unhinged writer of scary <laughs> stuff, she's going to describe what the movie's about. She's Increasingly so. Increasingly so. <laughs> but also brilliant, Matt. Yes. Oh, yes. You yes, yes. <laughs> no, you are brilliant, but you are totally hinged. A literary jewel. There, there yes. are hinges there. So this is in this weird year that we are in. Um, this is like a possible top 10 contender for me. Um, this is from director Josephine Decker, who most recently did Madeline's Madeline, which was so beautiful and strange. And this is also beautiful and strange. and has to do with some of the same themes about the fine line between creation and madness and... and uh, and putting yourself out there to the world, but also feeling kind of vulnerable and insecure about it. Um, and about a mentor and a mentee between two different women of different ages. Um, so Elizabeth Moss is Shirley Jackson, best known probably for writing The Lottery. And uh, this takes place right after that story came out. It's around 1950, I would say. And um, it is from the perspective of this younger couple coming to stay with Shirley Jackson and her husband, a professor at Bennington College, played by Michael Stuhlbarg. Odessa Young and Logan Lerman are the younger couple. Um, Logan Lerman plays this kind of young, aspiring professor who has come to be Michael Stuhlbarg's assistant at Bennington in the English department, but clearly has ambitions of his own. At the same time, Odessa Young's character, Rose, becomes fascinated with the complexity of Shirley Jackson. And uh, there are definitely glimmers of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf here early and often in that you have these couples of two different generations and there's like a toxic kind of stew brewing with all of them in terms of competitiveness and desire and uh, ambition and aspiration. Yes, Alonzo, I see you raising your hand. I was going to say, it's like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf if the younger couple moved in? (laughs) Yeah, they they, they're supposed to... And there's a pregnancy discussion too, right? I mean, that also adds to the Virginia Woolf part. Yeah, and a lot of drinking. So much. <laughs> a lot of a lot of really smart people like sniping at each other over their wine glasses. So um, it's got some similarities in that regard in the academic setting, of course. And it's it's about kind of the ephemeral and like subjective nature of creation, right? And it puts us into Shirley Jackson's head so often that we don't always know what is really happening. What is her imagination as far as coming up with the next story that she's working on, which will become Hangs a Man? Um, It's about her fascination with this young woman who disappeared from campus and how increasingly the Odessa Young character becomes her muse and maybe more, but also becomes a physical manifestation of this young woman who disappeared. And it, it plays a lot of tricks on you. And if you're willing to just kind of go with that, it is so beautiful and weird and disturbing and immersive. And I was into it from the very, very beginning. Um, I love the way it shot. I love the, pr- the prickly chemistry between Elizabeth Moss and Odessa Young and how that turns into this kind of conspiratorial sisterhood. 
and maybe more, again, depending on your perspective, depending on who you trust here. Um, I really, really dug it. I can see how it would be off-putting for a lot of people, men in particular. <laughs> no offense to you guys. <laughs> it's, <I> mean, <laughs> it's not a traditional biopic in that it's actually based all. on a, a novel, and the Odessa Young and Logan Lerman characters are fictional, but at the same time, it's sort of like if somebody wanted to do a biopic of Shirley Jackson in the manner of a Shirley Jackson story, this is what you get, you know? And so it's not only about her process, but it's also about the sort of like, yeah, it's very unsettling and it's very, you know, takes you to these kind of dark places. And there are times where you're like, is this a thing she's imagining for the book? Is this a flashback that the Odessa Young character is having? Is it neither or both are they blurring together um yeah i i I, this is a really this is really bold storytelling i've never seen any of decker's previous films and that's shame on me i need to oh i figured you'd seen madeline madeline i've been i've been meaning to get to it but i have not uh but yeah so i i I, but i I'm, i'm all about what she's doing here i think it's very effective and of course you know so much of it is anchored in elizabeth moss creating another sort of indelible portrait of an artist and just another character who is like ferociously unlikable but still ferocious you know and very much uh, uh self-possessed um so yeah i i think this movie totally it, it's setting out to do a very specific thing and it's absolutely doing it hmm. matt yeah I, I like this movie a lot too um it you know it does capture shirley jackson uh, you know it it is based on the real life between you know shirley and her husband stanley um who I don't know about, you know, it wasn't necessarily clear that Jackson felt this way, but, but uh, Stanley Hyman certainly felt that they had an open marriage. Uh, <laughs> I don't think she was okay with that. <laughs> right. But he seems to be. Yeah. Uh, we talked and, about this. <laughs> right. Uh, he's at right. And Stuhlbarg's really good in this as, mm. you know, he's alternately charming and kind of fawning and then monstrous. Um, and I, I really like the chemistry that they had. Uh, and the, you know, again, the tone is, I thought this captured a tone similar to is if you were reading something like Haunting of Hill House, right? I mean, a lot of Jackson's work, uh, you know, most of it probably isn't overtly supernatural. It's more, you know, there's a lot of like, well, that could just be a crazy person, Um, (laughs) right? Like you, you've got a lot of unreliable narrators, which this movie does really well, um, handles that things from point from uh for Shirley's point of view um and and Odessa Young's point of view you know kind of goes back and forth and really serves to be unsettling and scary and off-putting in a really effective way uh I thought the uh all of the performances were terrific um if and one of the things I think the movie because of the time it's set because the story is set right after the lottery's been published you know, we look back, if you, first of all, if you've never read the lottery, go and read it. It's an amazing story, but also read up on it because that was, it was published in the New Yorker, right? And, mm-hmm. and they, they talk in the movie about how the New Yorker got more angry letters about that story than anything else they'd ever published. People were livid about that story. They, they just were so upset and you so you catch Shirley, who already seems to have issues with going out at this point. We're like, 
everybody's mad at her. Um, I, I was and, I was reminded of We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which is another one of her books. Yeah, it's uh, also about the the you know, this people who are afraid to go outside of the house, you know. And actually, there's a really I thought really well made film of that that came out last year that a lot of people missed. It is now streaming on Tubi. If you haven't seen it, right? I did not see uh, that, but I know you said it was good. Yeah, yeah, but I love this movie. Um, you know, it is. It's hard to classify this, um, you know, it, like, to, but if you're in the mood for something weird that you got to kind of think about, um, it's a really smart movie. And it's something that I think you're going to be thinking about for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really dug this and, and I hope people check it out. I don't, I know, good. No, no, no. I, I, I don't know that I've seen Odessa Young before, but I was very impressed with her here. And I she think, was in Assassination Nation. Right. But I don't remember her in i that? think she Although, was i think she was blonde in that was she like one of the four main yeah okay i think she All was right. blonde. In that. well she's made a lot more of an impression here and i think <laughs> that she's almost kind of like the secret weapon because of course you know that like you know moss and stuhlbarg and even lerman are going to be really good uh but she is playing this really tricky role and i think has to has to be on moss's level and pulls it off which is that's not easy to do well so she is she is the only one that really evolves of all of them, right? So, I mean, yes, Shirley does leave the house eventually, but all those apprehensions and all those insecurities and all of the the volatility of her remains, right? right. And like the Michael Stuhlbarg character, her husband, he's always like the brilliant, arrogant cad, right? And Logan Lerman is always like the young and ambitious one. But but Rosie, the, the just a young character, actually evolves to be who she needs to be for each of them. And until she ultimately learns how to be herself for right. herself. Yeah. Right. So she's the only one who actually changes. Um, and yeah, there's a scene in the forest with her and Elizabeth Moss that mm. is just kind of breathtaking because you don't know it's tense, but kind of sexy too. And you don't know, and it's scary. You don't know where no. it's going to go. There are a lot of scenes between the two of them like that as their relationship evolves. I also really like the sound mix here because yes. there's sort of a, a mixture of the score with like sound effects that kind of suggest a lack of connection to reality, but not in an overbearing way, more of like in a steadily unsettling way and the costume design is great it's like 1950 at bennington college in vermont and um it's you know you see what women's roles were supposed to be at that point especially in a patriarchal setting like a university and you have two really fascinating women who increasingly butt up against that against the roles in which they're supposed to be trapped uh, yeah i was kind of thinking this is the movie you could as far as like you know queer filmmakers and 20th century academic repression like this and Kinsey and Professor Marsden and the Wonder Women mm -hmm. uh, are, all, are, are all sort of a, of a piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, although this movie does something, I think, a little bit different than Kinsey and Professor oh, Marsden sure. because yeah, it's yeah. because those two at least, like it's, it's a different type of sexuality they're, they're exploring. This one, mm -hmm. in, in, regards, in regards to the schooling, the way the female students follow the professors around in the 50s at one point made me think of like the you know some of the school room like the one or two schoolroom scenes that happen in the uh in Raiders of the Lost Ark uh -huh. right and I was and, and so now I'm thinking like man what was going on at colleges in the 50s in like the late 40s and early 50s like well this right. was, that seems 
ripe I, for some whole scandalous television series or well, movie that's, series. Th- that's where the term co-ed comes from. Like women yeah. going to higher institutions of higher education that were not women only was probably a relatively new phenomenon at that point. I don't have the dates in front of me, so I'm sure that was part of what was going on. But but I but I think there are, however, those there are some scenes between Shirley and Rosie that are like electric mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in the way that they are yep. like so kind of dancing around each other and these these like subtle touches that are that mean everything you know and yet are they real exactly there's that too like yeah. what what is in Shirley's mind and imagine yeah. what's real this is certainly a different kind of narrative than either Kinsey or Professor Mars and I mean it's, it's a mm-hmm. lot more like inside the writer's head whereas those are a little more sort of you know traditional narratives but I, I don't know I think they all kind of they all scratch a certain itch. I think you guys will dig Madeline's Madeline because it's so it's so daring and so strange and really like pushes the boundaries of again like what's real and what's imagined and um, like the giddy exhilaration of creating something um, and it just takes. There's like long tracking shots. There's like a giant production number at the end of Madeline's Madeline that just it comes out of nowhere. It's like, oh my God, where did this come from? But it's thrilling. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very strange and like unsettling movie, but really cool. Yeah, and I, I hear good things about uh, That Was Mild and Lovely and Butter on the Lash as well. So yeah, I, I have some catching up to do. Okay. What's your number? I'm saying nine. I like this a lot. Uh, I said eight. This is really okay. terrific. Uh, I, yeah, I, I say eight as well. Okay. 8.3 is our number. Nice. So that is streaming now. I want to say it's on Hulu. It is on Hulu. Yeah, um, and, and and I discovered you when you watch a movie on Hulu and you have this whatever level, you don't have the ads in the middle. So that was that was a relief. I wasn't sure what I was in for when I watched nice. it there. You're like, wait, it keeps going. Wait. <laughs> I know. I'm used to the the grade at this point where like there's constantly a, a pause. I have not seen uh, Judy and Punch. Uh, these folks have. Matt's going to describe. You know, if we were really cool, Punch would have come in off screen and hit you with a little stick. Uh, uh, All right, so Judy and Punch is a take, uh, a very, very weird stylized take on the Punch and Judy kind of legacy. Uh, Mia Vasakowska? Mia Vasakowska. Vasakowska is Judy. Uh, Damon Harriman uh, plays Punch. uh, and they are trying to get their puppet show uh, kind of back off the ground. Uh, and they live in this kind of seedy little town called Seaside that we learn very early on is not anywhere near the sea. Uh, and uh, this, if you know the story of Punch and Judy and you know what to expect and which characters are going to show up, uh, all of that gets delivered here. But this is still a very... Uh, offbeat take on this, um, including what happens to the baby uh, and who gets beaten with sticks and who does not. And it becomes this <laughs> very interesting, stylized kind of uh, almost, I almost want to say film noir, but it's this, it's this definite, it's definitely a weird story. Uh, I loved this movie. I thought it was um really really well made i loved uh mara folk's direction of this um it's it moves along really well it's got this great score that adds to the tension here um i i thought this was terrific uh but i don't think christy felt quite the same way (laughs) i really admire the ambition of it this is mara folk's first film she wrote it and directed it she's an australian actress she's married to david michaud who did Animal Kingdom, for example. Um, And this is her first film. And I I love 
the ambition of it, but we have talked several times about what the tendency sometimes is with a first time filmmaker to cram everything in, you know, like I really, really love the last black man in San Francisco, but one criticism that often comes up with that is like, wow, they're really, they're throwing it all in there. You know, they're trying to get it all in. And this I think is, is the case with her too, because it's, it is this really cool anachronistic take on a traditional, you know, I don't know whether I call it folklore or, you know, a, the right. puppet show has been around for centuries old puppet show that's seen various incarnations. Um, but like the way that people talk and the use of music and like, there's a whole scene of, of Judy doing Tai Chi in the forest with a bunch of gypsies to a Leonard Cohen song. Like there's, there's an interesting mix of stuff, but underlying all of that is what is meant to be a very thought provoking take on me too right? On, on women who have suffered abuse and are getting their revenge and are taking it back. And again, as we we're talking about with Shirley, a patriarchal society, this very much is as well. And it's, it's a society ruled by um, like mob and superstition, right? Right. right. And, um, right. and anyone that's that, you know, if you need to get someone, if you need to get rid of somebody, just call them a witch. Right. There's, I mean, there's police brutality. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories and accusations. There's a lot going on here that is, you know, definitely resonates. And then you have a woman who has suffered really horrific emotional and verbal and physical abuse, you know, ultimately seeking her revenge. And it's a, it's sort of a heady mix of styles and themes. And I don't know that it all works simultaneously. I, I love the ambition behind it. I love the look of it. And I am, am okay with, with the anachronistic nature of, you know, some of the pop culture references in here, because from the very beginning, as you point out, Matt, there's a title card that says seaside somewhere in the country, nowhere near the sea. And so, you know, you're kind of in a playful self-referential world here. And I like that, but there's almost like too much going on. And yet, like, I really appreciate the rough hewn nature of the setting and the costumes and Mia Vashakovska is like this fantastic, like anchor in the middle of it all in, in a world full of weirdos. And, you know, her, her husband is just this awful, megalomaniacal, abusive, um, grandstanding con man <laughs> who lives only for applause and he gets right. his audiences riled up and lives for the applause. Like, hmm, where have we seen this kind of figure before? So if you are tired of that kind of male figure, you might not have the appetite for this at this point in your life, but Damon Harriman is really good in it. Everyone's good in it. It's just, I don't know, maybe trying to do too much. I, I don't disagree with, with doing too much, especially like the end, especially like the big speech that happens is a little like, that's a little on the nose, I think. Um, but that being said, I was totally taken with this movie. Like it was, it was offbeat and, and weird and, you know, riffing right off the bat and, and the kind of the way that the characters talk to each other made it kind of brought me into the story in a way that like okay this is what it would have felt like even though you know back then you know in the time period that this is set people would probably speak in a in a style that we wouldn't you know maybe more formal a way we wouldn't recognize this would be how they felt as they talked to each other um mm -hmm. there is a lot of craziness 
kind of swirling around Vasakovska. I, I feel she reminds me of Sarah Pauly in Baron Munchausen oh. a bit. Um, oh. Right. Um, and there's, she's always really cool. She always makes really interesting choices and she's always like the smart figure in these films, you know? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but this movie totally worked for me. Um, or <laughs> not totally for the most part really worked. Um, I, you know, it, it definitely has some stuff to say um, in a couple places. It maybe gets a little ham fisted about it. Um, this is, it, I went into this, not, I had this movie totally confused with something else. For some reason, I was thinking <laughs> that this was some upcoming movie. Oh, now I can't even remember the actor's name. Um, I thought this was a different movie. And I thought that this was some like low-key heist movie. Gretel, Gretel and Hansel? No, I didn't think it was that. Um, who is it that, that uh, from the social network? Um, Rooney Mara? No, 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 the guy. Jesse Eisenberg? Yeah, I thought this was like an Eisenberg, <laughs> but I don't know what I got this confused with. And so the first few minutes, I'm like, there's Jesse Eisenberg in this. He's not in here creating I know. I don't know what I was thinking of. I don't know. Um, Did you catch the Gladiator reference? Oh, yeah. That, that Gladiator <laughs> reference was amazing. I was it's, like, it, it's, it's funny. I mean, again, this is like part of the boldness of it that I admire. Right. Like it, steals, it steals one of the most famous lines from Gladiator. Yeah. Out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, this movie, I loved this movie. You know, the music choices are terrific. Um, this, this again, like, there's a couple places that it, that, especially towards the end, that it loses its way a little bit. Um, but then I feel like it kind of saves it. Uh, you know, this is, this is a, this is the blackest of black comedies. This mm -hmm. is, this is a super black comedy. Yes. And I, and I somewhat feel like on his best day, this is what Tim Burton wishes he was doing. Um, it is daring in a way that Tim Burton movies have not been in a long time. And macabre in a way that his films have not been yeah. in a long time. Particularly there, Tim there are, Burton movies starring Mia Wasikowska. Yeah, there right. are sequences here, like early on, that it just might lose you. Like, Punch is so horrific. He's so awful. that there are moments where you might just want to, like, turn it off and walk away. I'll tell you what, though. Shirley Jackson would have loved this movie. <laughs> It's a good, bless you, Alonzo. It's a good double feature. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, this that is, is the, true. This is the uh, don't get married, everything sucks double feature. This is the creation and madness double feature. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, all right, I'm saying 5.6. I wanted to like it more. Oh, oh. Uh, well, oh. <laughs> uh, I'm saying 8.7. You are. So 7.2 is our number. I'm no longer here is the name of a new film on Netflix. Uh, one of my fine friends will tell you the Spanish title because uh, my Spanish is terrible. Uh, so I'll let them do it. I didn't see the movie, but they did. So uh, they'll talk about it. I'm going to take so, it. This is a Mexican production, but it is streaming globally on Netflix. The original title, Llano Estoy Aquí. Um, and it is from a filmmaker, uh, writer-director, Fernando Frias, who has directed several episodes of HBO's Los Espookies, if that's, that's credential enough for me. Uh, this is a really impressive uh, uh, film. It is set in Monterrey, Mexico, and in New York City. Monterrey, sorry. Monterrey. Two R's. Actually, I think R is one letter. R is una letra, sí. Tienes razón, lo siento. Oh, Christy, such a <laughs> Carretera. <laughs> Ferrocarril. I'm done now. Uh, uh, enhorabuena. How do you say it in Russian? <laughs> 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 
(laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it's set in Monterrey, and a a young man named Ulises is part of kind of a sub-sub gang where the the group that he's in they're not violent they don't they don't uh, do anything bad they're just super obsessed with a specific kind of cumbia music called colombia that is very much slowed down that they have very kind of elaborate um dancing set uh, to that music but eventually that life does catch up with him and for the safety of his family, he is sent off to go live in New York City. So the movie jumps back and forth between his life in New York and flashbacks to Monterrey. Um, in New York, he doesn't know anybody. He doesn't speak the language. He has a falling out with the, the people that he's living with and is sort of stuck on his own. Winds up kind of moving into the sort of little basement shack, or sorry, rooftop shack of a, an Asian grocery store owner. Uh, and he becomes friends with the guy's granddaughter. Um, and he is sort of, you know, continues with this sort of obsession with this music. And uh, it's, it's his one sort of link to the home and friends that he left behind. But, you know, New York is not welcoming. And uh, it is this just sort of portrait of, of alienation of the, somebody who's from a very specific uh, cultural subculture and uh, just trying to, to make his way through the world. Uh, I have to also describe his hair. Uh, <laughs> it's crucial to who he is. It is very much part of his character. It is, it is like, imagine the sort of headdress you would see somebody wearing if they were doing traditional kind of Aztec dancing, uh, but that's his hair. Like the, the sides of it hang down really long. The top of it sticks up and is, you know, colored yellow. It's very, you know, unique and, and distinctive. And you keep thinking this is going to be the kind of movie where, like, he finds his people in New York, where New York is such a melting pot and represents so much of the world. He's going to find the other people out there who love the same kind of music. And it does not happen. Like, he is, <laughs> he is on his own. And this is a really just, like, sad but beautiful film. I really like this too. And it's such a vivid slice of life. The Mexico portions, especially like it's such a specific subgenre, and the enthusiasm that he and all of his friends have for like different songs that they trade with each other and their clothes. And they all have like kind of a similar, like brightly hued, like baggy street gear. And it's about like asserting your independence and your individuality, but also finding your place within a group. And you can see how alive they all feel when they're together and when they're dancing. And it's this great combination of like ancient old world traditions and just totally modern now refreshing alive um, youth culture. And the, the dances that they do to the cumbia that, you know, that they've made their own. Yeah. It's, it's primal. Like the men kind of like, they're like, you know, almost flapping out their wings like they're roosters, kind of like showing yeah. off for the ladies. And the women are like shaking their butts. And it's like this very, very primal kind of mating dance. But the music is totally contemporary. And now, um, beautiful long tracking shots through this neighborhood where they live in Monterrey. And like the going through like the narrow kind of graffiti strewn alleyways and climbing up the, the abandoned construction site that is like their base is so beautiful in its decay. Like it's tragic and sad, but kind of gorgeous at the same time. And the views of the mountains, because Northern Mexico, this portion of it is very mountainous. And, um, and so they, 
they're in the streets, they're in the concrete, but like the mountains are sort of majestic and timeless in the distance. And it's just so specific and so evocative that the, the sections in Mexico, for me, were a lot stronger than the ones in New York. Hmm. Um, I, I very much like that portion of it as well. And there is like a back and forth that g- takes place in terms of time. Um, I think the fact that his name is Ulysses is not an accident <laughs> because he does go on it's an odyssey of, of true, his own. True. Although this, this is not linear. This is a back and forth to his journey of, yeah. of you know, self-realization. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's not like a feel-good immigrant story. You know? and, and even the people who are maybe also from Mexico or maybe also are Spanish speakers, they tool on him for his hair, for his music, these things that he loves deeply that define him to his core. Um, They make fun of him for them. And even his accent, you know, it's not the same kind of Spanish accent. Oh, uh, thank God for subtitles. Right? <laughs> between between the very specific sort of regionalism and the dialect and then like teen slang on top of that, I was like, I don't know what's being said here. Right. I, yeah, I, I don't speak Spanish nearly as well as you do, Alonzo, but like I needed it for the for the Spanish portions myself. So that was good. And, um, but- like, and there's, you know, there's, and there's, there's gang violence that figures in the plot, but it's so not like a movie about, you know, gangs or like narco traficantes. Like it is not that at all. It's not, yeah. like it, it, it's there to sort of push the story along, but it's so not interested in being another one of those movies. It, this is so uniquely kind of a character piece. Yeah, and I, I love the friendship that he um, cultivates with the the sixteen year old Asian girl who is sweet and sheltered and like fascinated by his really unique otherness you know where everybody else looks at him like he's a freak she sees the sweetness in him even though like she speaks a little bit of spanish and he speaks no english like they find a way i like the scene where they're sitting side by side in the library communicating through google translate (laughs) (laughs) yes and youtube clips yeah there's like a purity and a sweetness to it um in in a in a world in a world that is really harsh and really unforgiving um it's sort of an an indictment of, of how hard it is to be an immigrant in, in our country right now, but in this one little ray of hope is is delightful. So much so that I kind of wish that that had been developed further. Like, not that it needs to be necessarily a concrete romantic thing, but she's so great that the fact that that friendship is fleeting. Well, I, I, I think the movie you know. keeps dangling these possibilities. Like, he meets a woman who is like a, a dance hall girl, basically. I don't know how else to describe her. Oh, the you woman know. who could like be a mom figure to him? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, she's from Colombia and she listens to a lot of the groups that he likes, but she hates the way that he listens to it, which is like super slowed down. Uh, you know, the guys that he's staying with, they bring some girls home and they want to see him dance and he starts dancing and the girls kind of get into it and the guys like turn it off, like, yeah, this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> and and then they, you know, and then, and then the, the, the friendship with the girls, like they dangle these possibilities of connection and these possibilities of like, you know, building bridges with other people and kind of finding his people and then just snatch them away. And I think that's very intentional on the film. I think it's mm-hmm. sort of like this idea of like, this guy is just not going to find tragically the, the, the way the, the same kind of community that he had to flee, you know, from in, in Monterrey. You really feel his loneliness and his sense yeah. of isolation. Like he doesn't belong anywhere anymore. Um, this is a Netflix movie I, I wrote in my review for Ebert. This is like the rare Netflix movie that I really wish I had seen on the big screen. Sure, yeah, Because yeah. it's so beautiful. Like, like the scenes you're talking about with the, with the dance hall woman where he goes back to her apartment. They're like this really rich kind of vibrant shade of purple mm-hmm. that like 
it instantly grabs you, but it's also kind of calming at the same time. Um, there's there's a lot of images that I wish I'd seen projected large. And like you said, just the way the camera moves through those alleyways and stuff, it's like, yeah, this is very assured filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to see it projected. But you know what? Watch it on Netflix. <laughs> it's still great. You should see it. Yeah, such is our life these days. Um, Indeed. A- unless you go to a theater in California on Friday, which you can do, which, yeah. <laughs> which we'll talk about on the podcast when we do news on Friday. We will indeed. No, thanks. (laughs) I'm saying eight. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I said 7.8. I think this is really terrific, and I I hope people will go check it out. Same. So 7.9 is our number. Yes. Uh, So thanks for watching, everybody. Like this video. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, Check us out on social media at BeFastAllDay on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And, of course, uh, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash BeFastAllDay. We are doing TV recaps. We're... uh, carrying on with uh with the great on hulu and also looking at the new espn 30 for 30 about bruce lee b water that aired this week uh and lots of other fun exclusive stuff for our patreon subscribers so do give that a look uh in the meantime we'll be back friday with more reviews uh everybody take care of yourselves and each other and until then bye i was gonna say really fast there's a lot sorry there's a lot this week actually movie wise because we've got the king of staten island we've got artemis fowl Mm -hmm. um we've got five bloods we've got the five bloods we've got four episodes of the great um and was there something else in patreon we were going to do oh at some point we're going to do the queer film that you all chose for us right yes the we we had a vote out for that that was a patreon exclusive they get to pick which of a handful of uh, queer titles that are all streaming on tubi that we're going to watch i don't have the winner in front of me, but we'll pick it and we'll watch it and we'll talk about that. And uh, we have a very fun sort of ongoing project coming up as well. That's going to be a Patreon exclusive. So we do. Don't know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I forgot. My my brain's a blur. I'm discombobulated. But yeah, so we, we're going to do more movies this week so uh, and news. So thank you for sticking with us last week where we just did an hour of news. We'll dip back into news again this week, but we have actual reviews and stuff. So thank Absolutely. you for hanging out with us. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.